You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Here it is, Vox and Hops, Episode 9. Uh, today I sit down with Pat Loisel, the guitarist and vocalist of Augury. There was a whole bunch of strange circumstances that <laughs> surrounded this interview. We were supposed to do it at one place. I show up there, the place is closed. He invites me back to his house, extremely grateful for that. We get there, we sit down, we start doing the interview. Ten minutes into it, I realize that my Zoom is not recording. Pat very graciously just stood up, went to the washroom, came back and started all over again. So today I sit down with Pat Loisel and we have a conversation about him growing up with Asperger's in an area where these diagnoses did not exist, his unbelievable collection of over 200 tarantulas and how most of the material he brings to the table for augury was actually written back in the 80s. And he also shares what it's like being a high school teacher, which is, you know, super interesting and I'm very glad that I dug into that and he was uh, extremely generous with some information about what that's like. So uh, sit back, enjoy, here it is is Vox and Hops, episode 9. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, how's it going? Matt here with Pat Loisel. We are in Laval West. We were supposed to go to Noir et Blanche, uh, a brew pub in St. Eustache, which opened in 2012. But, uh, you know, Google fucked us and they had their opening hours all fucking wrong. And we got there way too early and we weren't going to sit around outside for three hours. So uh, Pat very generously welcomed me into his house and we bought some beers and here we are now. How's it going, man? Oh, very fine. And like I said, actually, uh, that was my initial plan was to invite you here, actually. So, uh, and when you told me about Noir et Blanche, I was, oh, then okay, because that place totally rules. So if you're around a St. Eustache, we can only recommend uh, the, uh, the whole part of that town and those restaurants that totally rule. A few of them. Tell me about beer. Right now we're drinking a Porter Baltic from Hickson. What did you think about that beer? Oh, I like it, actually. It's a bit like a little tad too thick for me, perhaps, but it, a little tad. But I prefer this than too uh, acid or like Corona beer or industrial beer. This uh this like causes stomach stomach burns and stuff. Uh, brown beers like uh, my favorite ever is Trois Pistoles. Mm. So anything that go that is about around that model suits me fine. Yeah, Trois Pistoles from Unibrew is uh, yeah my favorite of the Unibrew beers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And is okay too. And uh, the Porter Baltic from Hickson is my favorite Hickson beer. Um, Hickson came out about a few years ago and they tried to go on the the IPA craze, but uh, I feel like they haven't like matched all the other competition out there. And this is my most go-to solid yeah, Hickson beer. I think uh, it's only going to be better, but you know, I sample it little by little, by, uh, because I'm not a big drinker. I will have like two beers a day, not more. I can count on the fingers on one hand the times that I've been really drunk. So, and I'm 48. So, uh, you know, being nerd is not only a trademark. <laughs> is it like um, uh, you don't like losing control? I absolutely dislike losing control. Because you don't like losing control. I, di- I dislike. Dislike it. Okay. So, and that's why you don't like getting too drunk. Yeah. Do you remember what your first experience with alcohol was? Uh, well, we we had wine when I was a kid at Christmas, you know, little glass or diluted like they do in France. And uh, this is actually very uh, outré for Americans because uh, in other countries they serve minors. But in America, if you allow minors to have a drink on your property, you go to jail. And uh, that, But I've never been fond of over drinking and I'm just started to like some strong liquors like, uh, you know, brown rum um, I like Baileys and that kind of stuff I'll have some red wines and uh, like some beers but you know it's a handful of things uh, my favorite drinks are not alcohols it's like orangino apple juice and stuff like this that's cool that's different <laughs> do you and, and what about like what what made you get into the dark beers do you remember like the first time you drank like a dark beer that you said oh this is a beer that i actually do like ah uh, it's it's kind it's kind of uh, coating the throat you know rather than uh irritating it and also uh, non-dark beers uh provoke heartburns like a corona i can have one if it's very hot but uh, drinking like two or three coronas it goes uh, all it bothers you right away it doesn't feel right at all corona is only okay for me on a beautifully hot day with a lime and i'll, I'll have a corona 
On beautifully hot day, I retreat to my basement and have like my fan club uh, directed at me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your life growing up as a kid. Oh boy, well, I, I consider writing a book about it. Not because I'm important or famous or something like this, but just like the anecdotic stuff there could have a lot of people laughing. Anyway, um, unco uh, unconventional stuff, well, since day one and before. I'm a Native American. I'm an Abenaki. And my biological parents are like pretty mixed up, like with some Algonquian Korean, of course, Quebec white. Uh, my gr my maternal great-father was a chief of a tribe, I've been told. My... Uh, on my father's side, uh, well, my biological uh, father is Jean Chrétien. If you, if you, if you know Jean Chrétien, I spent my life laughing at him, and uh, I just learned that I have his blood in my veins. So, wow! Uh, yeah, because uh, that guy, you know, Paul Chrétien, he doesn't know that I exist, and he's been known for being a convict in convict in Peru in the seventies because uh, he was a drug dealer. Jacques, Jacques Chrétien. Not Jacques Chrétien, but his nephew. Okay. Who, because, uh, well, I'm the result of kind of a one night stand and he's not aware of my, uh, my existence. And I, I don't want, I don't want to join him simply. Uh, you know, I, 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 the simple fact that I accepted to meet my biological mother, like, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't accepted in my official family. So it's something that I keep like, you know, very low profile and stuff. They felt. It's a bit like you have only one mother. So my growing up is that I've been adopted at birth by a couple who were from the Gaspé Peninsula. The town is called Pespebiac. And uh, they made their uh, wedding trip to Valleyfield at the very other end of Quebec. And they never came back. The rest of the family just followed and settled there too. So I, I kind of grew up into a Gaspé, the Gaspé community in Valleyfield. Uh, so I grew up there. I went to uh, I went to resident school in early teens. That was a disaster. But uh, because also I've been adopted, and they didn't disclose that my origin because uh, uh, was I, I was like put on adoption as a Quebecer. And uh, I, but uh, when I was like uh, between like six and thirteen, I was pretty dark, and we had a different accent. So the welfare people living uh, next to my house thought that I was an immigrant, and I got stoned and spat on, and they broke our windows and stuff. The late seventies, the, the uneducated people and uh, of of all origin and language were extremely racist, you know. Uh, so uh, and. Uh, and also another thing that didn't help is that I'm an Asperger. I'm, I was extremely socially awkward. So no, I had deformities, my, my chin, my legs and stuff. I had to wear like a big orthesis in my mouth with a, you know, I had to crank it every day. So I actually have a chin now. Oh, really? And, uh, so I, It's and, something you had to wear all the time. Yeah, exactly. For a few years. And uh, though coming in, uh, coming and um, being 11 years old among 13 years people, because I skipped a year uh, in, uh, in elementary school so it was like uh, it's all the, the good recipe to make you a universal punching bag yeah and how, to, how did you cope with that at all <laughs> yeah exactly that's that. the answer uh, actually wanted. people yeah. started respecting me when I became good on guitar everything else I'm about they don't care what what made you pick up the guitar I always wanted to pick up the guitar I, I, we had one at home when I was like 7 or 8 but I, I didn't understand how it worked so I st actually started at 8 on keyboards and I wanted to to play stuff like human leagues and uh, you know early new wave stuff and then um, i had an electric guitar at 11 but uh, i preferred to play bass we uh, a guy at school lent me lent me his bass and uh, the, the, the strings were easier to play and uh, didn't hurt the fingers and stuff and i finally started to concentrate solely on guitar at around age 13 so i've been playing music for 40 years and guitar for like 35 37 years i started drums in 85 but but uh, neighbors made me stop drums uh, almost <laughs> immediately. And uh, I resumed in 2011. But just imagine if I never stopped. Yeah, you're completely Starting well 1985 until now. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Check that, Moon, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesus lizard. <laughs> do, do you think being Asperger's is something that helped you become so prolific yeah, yeah, yeah totally because it totally disconnected me from uh, a lot of stuff that i find totally useless you know fashion uh, nightlife uh, gossip uh, there are a lot of uh, social codes that i did 
I still don't yet, and I don't want to. It's a waste of time. And how do you adapt now with Asperger's? As now that you know what it is, like when when were you? Did you realize this is what I have? Uh, by reading stuff recently, and it's like, oh, it's me, oh, it's me, oh, it's me. But back then, nobody knew, and we're just like, okay, you're an incumbent, just get out of the way. Mm. But you were super smart because you skipped. That you skipped great. You were like academically. I, I, sk- I skipped uh, in elementary, but uh, then the secondary one, I, I felt I had like six persons in math. Really? Because I was I was only concerned about learning the shark species Latin name. I, I, I caught bats and I tried to raise them. <laughs> and I, I wanted to be the Adams family, man. And uh, so uh, I, I, the only thing that mattered to me was one, uh, radio control airplanes. And biology, I was heavily into uh, all animal that people find creepy. I was heavily into tarantulas at age 13. And now, uh, uh, oh, when did you change? Never. I, I, I've i honed up to two, 200 tarantulas. Yeah, no, My weight. Uh, Pat, right. Pat just gave me a tour of his tarantula cave downstairs. And I'm not necessarily very fond of spiders. <laughs> but but I held it together. And they're very interesting. And they're beautiful. And Yeah, I'm into colored one. But also, uh, I don't like the top five biggest species on earth so uh, that type of stuff can pull you on the rollerblades wow. you know you like slay dog <laughs> mosh mosh <laughs> and uh, those uh, some of those some of those can overpower a rabbit you know wow. so, uh, you said one of them they, they can crush a can yeah uh, empty can yeah yeah, uh, I tickled one with a pencil, and she just grabbed the pencil and went away with it, and give it back to me, you. <laughs> but uh, the fun is to uh, I love the arboreal kinds, and I release a moth in the cage, and you have Jackie Chan in a jar. Wow, yeah. it's incredible. It's uh, uh, a <clears throat> some guy calculated that when they jump to catch a bird, they go at like thirty miles an hour. <clears throat> that's that's. <laughs> I have one that is twenty five years old, and they can live like seventy years old. And you said another one can live to 80. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, the Rosea, yeah, that's right. I do have a Rosea that's supposed to be 80. But uh, the problem is that no specimen died of natural causes since the, the hobby started became, being popular. I do have a guy who has like a 35 years old spider from his grandpa and stuff. But uh, theoretically, they don't have aging process. So, yes, because you were also saying that, that, that spiders molt. Yeah, they change corneas, uh, inside of the mouth, the edge of a guess, uh, all the skin, of, all the skeleton, of course, uh, uh, genitals, lungs. So everything that we wish, we wish we would switch periodically, they do. And how often do, does a spider molt? Well, um, first, uh, a young one will go several times a year. Then an adult one's going to be every one or two years. I've I've had case of a desert species, five years, stuff like this. My Nandu Chromatus I have since 2004. It molded two times. Oh, yeah. It's 25. That's insane. Yeah. And, and a sibling of that very same would be 10 inches within three years. You know, they, they have... The, it's like in a family, you know, you, you have the guy that grows to six foot and the other... Is a dwarf, so uh, and, uh, we do uh, we do have giants in humans, but you know how many humans are seven foot, like one person? Yeah, Same, it's you true. Know, I do have giant species, but they won't they won't necessarily reach a record size. So you collected bats. Yeah, you started playing guitar. Yeah, when did the band start? Oh, I started to play with people. Late teens, but the problem is that again, uh, family was very opposed for me playing with long hair people and uh, you know unclean people and stuff like that. Uh, I've had long hair for like five years, and there wasn't a single day without having some family member pressuring me to cut it. Was it? Did you grow up in like in a religious? They're not religious. They they just simply. Uh, it's like uh, to them, it's a musician is simply they starve. They don't earn a proper living. Uh, they're not realistic. So, and uh, so getting like a, a real job, a, yeah, degree, exactly. a degree, a real job. Was a degree important for you? Uh, yeah, exactly. I couldn't go. I absolutely, absolutely couldn't do like other young and uh, just go on hitchhike for two years be- between uh, college and university, like many do. It was no, you don't do this, and just to tell you the overall it's from that area's mentality they don't take show business seriously overall i remember when my dad or an uncle they were watching rocky belzari on tv mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, you know i understand they're very funny if you don't live in quebec and don't get french uh, well we have to translate the whole thing it, it, you still won't understand it i don't think oh, some of it but still they are big stars and my dad watched them on tv and he went like uh, man 
uh, tomorrow morning, the foreman's going to wait them and say, you're fired. I saw you on TV, blah, blah, you're fired. You're putting shame onto the business. But dad, this is their job. Yeah, yeah. They thought that people you saw on TV were doing a hobby. Okay. It, it, it was uh, miles above them, the idea that somebody would be paid for it and that it was is being their primary income, that, that, that a, man could, a cat could fly, you know? So that made it very difficult yeah, yeah. to make music yeah, that, a priority. I, I, I only could play a lot, start playing live around age 20, 21. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, before that, I, I played live twice. But you practiced all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then yes. Uh, but uh, once you have it, you don't need to practice all the time. You know. It, it, once it's, it's muscle memory. Muscle yeah. memory. Wow. You're in my mind. I was about to say that very <laughs> exact two word. So you started making bands. When did when did like you start realizing that you could actually put out music and have a band because before augury came out like later oh yeah well well um first of first of all i always wanted to play original from day one from the early 80s on there are many riffs that i put out recently but it's just rearrangements from my old riff from then simply other people didn't want other other people didn't want to play original music in the 80s i i, I recruited guys to make a band old friends and they turned that band into a club band playing guns and roses and a dio and stuff like this and and then I, I made an original band they wanted to play like groove trash like pantera primus and stuff so my quote mark vampire music they didn't want to play <laughs> i wanted to put keyboard on my music since 1983 i was i wasn't too heavy like back like vampire music philip glass and stuff enya and i wanted to put that uh, ghostly keyboard ambience over over fast heavy metal since the mid 80s i i present the songs to any bandmates until the late 90s over my dead body you never play this and then i finally re released those hey you copied emperor I was, just, I was just gonna say that yeah and i actually actually i totally love emperor there was an influence on the arrangement because i didn't necessarily add the fast and ghostly parts at the, together at the same time. That influence came from them. Then uh, uh, when I joined a band called Deafness in 97, uh, they were playing like a suffocation like that metal. I just brought all those old composition. I have the, I had them by a keyboard and we morphed into Kalizek. So Kalizek was mostly my songwriting on keyboard from the early 80s. And you, you just have them in your mind? Or you yeah, totally. It just, uh, it just re-emerged when I heard the sound. Like, like I, 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 I just uh, feel, I just uh, tinker on the keyboard, just switch sound, then I hit that you, ah, goes the sound, and poof, it all came back. And you remember all the arrangements? Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. But uh, but for the Kelsey album, I had ceased playing keyboard for real, so it was mostly programmed or play one note mm -hmm. at the time, and then sped up. Same for the drums. I wrote stuff on drums, but I was physically unable to play it, and it would be uh, like a nightmare to record me on drums. I'm starting to get reliable on drums so uh so but uh the ideas uh, still the ideas made it on the album i wrote i wrote a lot on drums on, on the last augury so i just filmed myself uh and sh sh shown the clip to antoine there are like uh, two three songs that i totally recognize my playing he, he totally w w you give him a kite and he makes a space shuttle out of it yeah, I recognize everything, but he, he added that little progressive thing that, oh, this I can't do. And you know what? Antoine actually plays lead guitar on the album as well. He's better than me. The best solo, like, uh, I have my solo, and then Antoine right after me is like, uh, he, the, the, he's the best soloist in the band. Well, Matt, Matt, is a, uh, Matt is a soloist, but he's not a shredder. He's more into David Gilmore stuff. So you guys are like a, a band of like super musicians. Oh, well, I, I, I consider myself a super singer who tries to play guitar. I'm the, uh, I do the good stuff that I'm proud of, but uh, overall, I'm the lesser musician in Augury. You think you think so? Yeah, because I'm the one person that music is not my is not my priority since 20 years, you know. So uh, I've been building guitars, uh, furnitures. I teach. I write a lot and stuff. So uh, I see I see kids that play guitar seven hours a day. We meet seven hours a month. Mm -hmm. You know, but mm -hmm. uh, and not even that. You said that you make guitars. When did you start making guitars? Uh, I, I started fixing guitars in my teens, very badly. You know, I just did what went into my mind, and then uh, I started getting good in my thirties. 
and a friend of mine said, I want to have a eight string guitars, but back then they weren't available. You know, uh, somebody was making one in Germany or that, and that's it. So I, I, I my, the very first guitar I, I built A to Z was a eight string guitars. And then he came back a bit later and he asked me to make it fan fret. So I ripped off the fretboard and I made a fan fret, fret, fretboard for that guitar. And he came back later to have an acoustic done the same. And uh, then since then I've made 25 guitars. But the fact is, is that the very first eight strings guitar and the very first fan fret guitar I ever touch were the one I built long before I saw one in a store or played one from the commerce. You just took the concept of a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you understand that the, when I saw the real ones, I, I recall the guitars. Okay, I'm going to change a little things on them. I totally suck for the lacquers and stuff. I have to redo my lacquer. It's, gonna, it's something else I'm going to delegate uh, on the next guitars I do. Electronics the same. I will stick to, I will stick to what I do the best, like uh, picking the right tone wood and the construction and anything from the frets to the the paint i'm gonna have somebody else do it they're better than me but the price is gonna go up <laughs> because my mistake is was to try to lower the price and then uh, using domestic products and have the guy come back at me because the the varnish melted or stuff like this so uh, simply is that i don't do it you're gonna have somebody else do it not me you told me a story as we were buying beer before about playing a show with old school Cryptopsy before they were Cryptopsy. Yeah, exactly. My band Foreshadows, so that's my first original band, who uh, is, a, is a guy I jammed with in the mid-80s and they are still my best friends uh, outside of Augury. And um, it's like uh, I met them in January 90 and we, Kurt, the bass player, who, uh, you know the rhythm section, those two guys are now the rhythm sections of Vanta Black Warship. Okay. So that's my very first buddies back then, 30 years ago. And uh, Kurt was uh, attending John Abbott College, where and Cryptopsy uh, partook on the battle of the bands, you know, under the name Necrosis before they became Cryptopsy. So we played with Necrosis like two, three times. And uh, we played, it was Steve Thibault, Dan Greening, or, well, Lord Worm. And the rhythm section was more a punkish one, actually. The, the bass player looked like a Mandanzig with, like, you know, the forehead, a little, little thread of hair in the middle of the forehead. And the drummer, uh, the drummer was a kind of a blonde guy, uh, not not really a dead metal guy, but he tried to help. And he said to us, I'm the fastest drummer in the world. So he, he, he made a very fast beat, but with both hands on the snare. <laughs> and in the audience, it, you had that blonde French kid watching him go, he was Flo Mounier. And Flo joined that band. And, you know, one plus one equal two. He tried to do, he managed to do that stuff with only one hand and uh, simply imitating a bad drummer. <laughs> Develop his style. So I saw Dan, I saw Dan Greening before Lord Worm, uh, before the Worms, uh, you know. So, uh, and, uh, and then, oh, they changed name to Cryptopsy. Okay. Yeah. Did he still have that aura about him? Uh, then he was more stage. trash metal. Well, it, it was funny. He had humor. Uh, that show, uh, the, and, and I had the tape somewhere, but it's all destroyed. They started the show with a ballad dancer and they had keyboards. So Cryptopsy, when they started, they had a girl in the band and they had a keyboardist. So people ranting about, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know I, I always, I always put that back on people's face. You know, you run the F keyboard. They started with keyboards. You just, it's like, I, I, I'll make a, I'll make a parallel. You know that India decriminalized homosexuality like last week. You have people there, oh, Western world is imposing its perversion onto us. <laughs> Not at all. You've been perverse. For, you've been pervert for like thousands of years. Uh, historical India was extremely gay friendly. <laughs> Hinduist religion as trans, uh, transsexual characters and pregnant men. You know, in the, in, you know, in their 30 millions of gods they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Have, they have gay, transsexuals, and transgender gods. You know, it's the British who imposed them the, the homophobic laws in, the 18, in 1860. When they became a colony. Yeah, exactly. So all the, the current homophobic tree that you see in the, Middle East, in the Middle East came from the British and other Europeans from fucking Madagascar to fucking Easter Island. It was pretty gay. If you, any Oceanian culture, you had to get your masculinity from another man. I'll let you guess how. 
<laughs> and now those are have become extremely homophobic and they say that we brought them perversion you've been a perv since day fucking one you know sorry <laughs> so take that take that uh, where i'll let you choose <laughs> when did you start screaming oh i, I well was well, i've been into it since like late 80s because uh, proper death vocals you had the band called allosive in the 80s that uh, that had like a low raw vocals but the first official extreme bands i, I thought they were bad actually the great uh prototype great uh properly sung dead vocals it's chuck billy from testament if you get live at eindhoven from 1987 you have a song called ring of terror and he goes extremely low extremely sustained extremely clear so everybody who, who labeled themselves death metal at the time would go no power you know uh, uh no precision people who try to go fast were not tight so actually try metal create proper death metal and ah, testament interesting and you know now people rent that testament have incorporated blast beat and dead vocals they were one of the they were the you know they were the first they were among the first to bring extreme elements uh, to proper performance and uh, making it musical and then you have suffocation suffocation you know there were other dead metal bands but suffocation were musical the morbid angel were musical that's why they are still around and others are like uh, who are they my own vocals well i i did have uh, but uh, my bandmates in foreshadow did dislike that metal right now they love it much more than they did when we were 20s something so i had to stick to a uh, chuck billy-ish vocals with a, a few dead grunts at the end when i joined kralizek actually what uh, at the band split is also what shaped the future because the singer then ben he wanted to be the only singer he felt uncomfortable to have another frontman join the band he's like i'm the singer you shut up blah 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 but um i want to absolutely wanted to keep my vocal ideas that i already had or fragments of so uh, that led me to be expelled from the band but what happened is that i replaced him once he, he he's a military he had to be he, he couldn't do a show and then uh, when we started augury my my first early songs were songs that i wrote for him so i simply sung the vocals the way the way i intended him to do so is my main influence on vocals a second to a second one is sebastian croto sebastian is my vocal teacher who actually helped me to achieve those vocals without hurting my throat yeah but you, it, took, I, you took lessons with him back then or uh, uh, back then i i mean in 2001 yeah for people that don't know sebastian croto is the singer of uh, necrotic mutation yeah he first showed me tibetan you know uh, monks are you if i i do it long i'll have the note but uh and then he explained me how to take this and do translate it toward death metal vocals so basically is that the false vocal chords being sung over the real vocal chords um some death metal vocalists only use the false one and they they burn their voice very early on in their career that's true yeah or on tour they just can't do it night after night yeah exactly they just blow it out right away especially with lack of sleep beer and everything your lyrics yeah what do you strive to accomplish when you sit down to write a song yeah, well, my songs are are motivated by the one emotion that i build around when it's somebody else's song i i try to fit what fits with the ambience it's like uh and so uh if the lyrics sound like big like a parade i will have very militant lyrics over it if it sounds a bit ghoulish and creepy i will have like more occult lyrics over it but uh, especially forest you have both in the same song so i have to switch atmosphere and i have to make the lyrics make sense as for the lyrical content is like i i revolve it's funny because listen there's a guy say well you always go around the same six seven topics and i go well you, you were assured by a guy who was eight albums are entirely about satan so shut up anyway <laughs> have some beer yeah thank you no we're switching beers we're, we're uh, switching beer so we'll have a little melange au pied du mur from noir et blanche at the foot of the wall another foot of the wall and i'll have myself then i go in the lyrics it is a brown hoppy beer it says uh, it smells really nice it's a good beer it's where we've tried to go today so we, we bought some of the beers and uh, we're drinking them here lyrics lyrics so well 
lyrics uh, are, I keep them a bit cryptic because the same the same saying can apply to multiple situations so uh, uh, for example on the first album I have a song called Becoming God uh, actually and there's a part here I wrote that I was like 16 and uh, you know so you just follow me and oh no I don't play it okay the next man will and uh, just put it in so the box the, the song is about ancient aliens but I put it on the perspective of the ancient alien coming back on Earth and seeing all their creation as uh, morphed into like, eh, okay, they're uh, okay. They use nuclear power and computer, but for totally animal preoccupations, getting territory, getting the chicks, uh, breeding, uh, you know, and uh, uh, gathering resources for my clan. The, the lions do it, the zebras do it. Humans should move upward. So I imagine that uh, we genius make technology and idiots use it and uh, so whoever created us must be very disappointed but I didn't mention the details because it could apply to let's see you discover an island with uh, cannibals on it you civilize them show them science you come back a hundred years later and they're back to being cannibals but they use cell phones to track the prey mm. so uh, it's all uh, many songs have multiple topics and the topic is covered by two lines and I I'm actually writing uh, something to explain the lyrics on the new album. Basically, is the fact that the civiliza your civilization is taken for granted, and there are instances where civil previous civilizations were destroyed, and uh, when people were warned of this, they never believed the person. Yeah. So, and uh, council is about, and it's always a recurrence that civilization fall, collapse, and. Uh, so people survivors are turned into slavery and stuff you see that that that, that portrait coming in and as i write the lyrics and i, I make those albums uh to me they started a bit as a fantasy but the more time passed, I, we made council in 2004, it's uh, 2018, the more I find evidence that's the actual way the world works. Mm. Uh, and our multiple songs about uh, el el elites trying to stop the global population from increasing their standards of living or education. And uh, I find I found more and more evidence, including last week. Uh, so... And the evidence from an era is just a continuity from the evidence from the previous era, from the previous era. I'll, I'll give you an example. In antiquity, human sacrifices, the main the main reason for it was to maintain social stratification because uh, they ask the poor people, give your best son, your best daughter, the, the, the strongest, the most, the smartest, while the rich, once in a while, they start sacrifice their rent so that achieve totally physically different social classes and then you have China in the Middle Age. China, uh, in, uh, around 1400, they had the treasure fleet. It was uh, 1,200 ships that were, no, more than that, 3,000. Uh, uh, 3,000 ships that were 100, and me, 100 meters and more long. To give you an, an example, the U.S. Navy is 400 ships. The, and the Columbus ship was 30 meters long and less. So, you know, they dwarfed everything else back then. Europe was cavemen come compared to china but in 1500 china burnt the wall fleet and stopped every international trade the problem is that that trade made china rich and all of china became rich including the poor people the peasants and the slaves who could who, who could then afford nice houses uh, silk clothing uh, servants and and so the rich couldn't go any higher and they saw poor people re, rejoining them up the ladder so uh, the, the nobility went to the government and say you gonna stop everything we want the poor to go back to their fucking places and every you'll see it in every society you have that phenomenon and then for hundred of years china's went back to middle age and being ignorant and poor uh, europe was in totally crap because one pope hated cats he had them exterminated all over europe then comes the plague oh yeah oh yeah the black plague you're uh, from the rats yeah from the rats oh yeah See, i did not and, know that yeah. you know and um, you know both you and i wear glasses you know, we are, you know, thankful because without it, I don't even see your eyes. And probably, uh, probably you don't too. The person who made the first pair of glasses got punished by the church. You know what? Because people could 
take one of the lens and put it in front of the other, then look up. Oh, everything is spherical in the universe. Oh, I see the shadow of Earth on this planet. It's round two. We give the mean to contradict the church. Burn. Uh, the guy who invented the Braille system, you know, Louis Braille, to, yeah, well, he got punished. Uh, every, and people got fired to having one of his books. He was a pariah in his time because back then reading to the blind was such a business that it employed thousands of people. And then the guy comes and show blind people how to read by themselves. Poof. The first people to invent the steam engine got it destroyed. Horsemans uh, wanted to keep the job. You know, and before that, the Greeks had steam engines. Fanatics destroyed them. Every time somebody evolved, you have a fanatic come in and abort the golden age. So, aborted golden age, it's all those anecdotes. It's like the Romans saw them in the future going to space and having an ever peaceful civilization, and poof, barbarians came in. And you have the same telltale signs. You have the same signs, the, the same pattern is the ground dog era. That's crazy. You see this happening even to totally. It's like you have a regression, even in our very mundane civilization. The, since 2013, I saw a return of, of, of very backward attitudes. Yahoo News published an article asking women to not choose too high situation or, and to turn away from uh, subject matters in university that would give you a too high salary or put you in a position of power. You have to save American family. There are there are places in the States where, where a family like mine, where the, the mother outturns the father, is considered dysfunctional. There are places you can, as a teacher, the, I have colleagues in the state, they tell me, I, I, what you write, what you say, I can't tell them. I can't talk about any alternative lifestyle. There are places in the United States, they will they will punish you for having an electric car. They'll punish you for having an electric yeah, car. Yeah, I mean, financially. Yeah. And um, Russia is even worse. There are more electric cars in Longueuil than in the whole fucking Russia. I that. <laughs> I Russia know has that 700 electric cars altogether. Russia is enormous. <laughs> yeah, the biggest. You know what? Because Putin sells oil. That mm -hmm. is um, that that is actual trade. Beside being a politician, so all of this fuels your lyrics. All of this also conspiracy theory, um, mainly because we have evidence that uh, we've been pre preceded on Earth by other civilization. And what happens is that uh, when it collapses, the only the the less dependent individuals survive, so the most primitive. They, you know, if we collapse like Atlantis did, you and I, we survive. We remember about computers and airplanes, but try building one. Yeah. And then you have young kids, and uh, we try, we, we, we rub two stones together to make fire, but we try to explain that, that way, you know, we listen to death metal, and the drummer goes, da 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 da, -da. <laughs> You dad at funny gods. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you something? There are people on this planet who think that you high and our whole civilization is legend. There are a hundred uncontacted tribes in the middle of the jungle that uh, that never met a white man in their lives. They don't know about uh, riding electricity, nothing. So we don't exist for them. Once in a while, once of, one of them spots a plane in the distance. The others just tell him to quit drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't believe. So yeah, we're yeah. a legend. Our old civilization, the eight billions of eight humans, we don't exist for those people. So don't tell me that there's nothing out of sp out in space or uh, in the center of the earth or anything. We don't know. We have, we don't have the means to prove. What got you into teaching? My mother was a teacher. My, I told you, my dad uh, in '58, yeah, he was uh, the foreman building the Aubois-Arnois Dam, and he fell off the dam onto concrete. He br he broke his spine. He couldn't marry wearing crutches, and but he's, he remained a cripple for like almost 20 years and 1976 he got a big operation in the back i actually saw saw him cut all open when i was six <laughs> it was the first gore thing i ever saw was my own daddy being operated on and um and uh, he then in about 1981 he could resume working and he built like cabinets and furnitures and uh, i was his help hand but the big salary was my mom, which she was a elementary school teacher, and I've been to that very school, but I didn't have her. Thanks God, she was she was very very strict. <laughs> and um, when I came, when I was in, I came to university, I wanted to go communication, but it was really close, you know. They didn't accept many people, and I had to go to university, so I chose like history teaching, but uh, I didn't make it my main course. Uh, it was more Nazism, fascism, Sumerian civilization. 
education and stuff like that. So uh, I do have a big background in history other than simply to teach it. And now you teach history. Oh, that depends. Here from here, they switch me here. And uh, secondary one and two, it's like global history from a caveman to uh, like the, the world wars. Uh, secondary three and four, it's Quebec history, but they change and it's better. Now it's going to be secondary three uh, native, then the French regime. And secondary four is going to be the English regime and the current p- period. I can imagine you're a very charismatic history teacher. That depends. Uh, I have to... Uh, I have to make an average uh, between the taste of everybody present. Some people, uh, some people, most want me to do uh, do news and uh, political talk, but some are like, "Can we stick to the book?" And it's funny because I teach my, most of my students are Muslim refugees. And uh, and I'm absolutely politically incorrect with them. I go, uh, I talk to them about the Wahhabi being Ill, acting like a mafia and considering other Muslims like scum, and just wanting to use them. And you know, it's like they have their their pilgrimage in Mecca. Mm-hmm. You know, the Wahhabi who are the bosses in Saudi Arabia, they hate that pilgrimage. They consider it idolatry. They tried to blow the whole thing in the 1920s. And then they figure out, hey, we could charge all the others to come. So a uh, regular Muslim who, got, who wants to do the Hajj, the pilgrimage in Mecca, he has to fork up uh, between nine and $12,000 just to go there. That money, they give Shakawi and other brainwashers because Wahhabi are... 30 millions, 50 millions over nearly 2 billions of Muslims. So it's like, uh, it's like the Nazi to the Germans. And they want to, they want to pervade. The best example is Indonesia. Indonesia has been a Muslim country for two, uh, for 800 years, but they had matriarchal communities and islands peopled only with transsexual people. But in 1904, Suharto, the dictator, he wanted his people to be more like uh, conform, uh, you know, uniform and stuff, and he wanted a civilization with male-dominated patriarchy. So he invited the Wahhabi clerics to come to Indonesia to reform them. The violence starts there. Uh, I know imams, they said uh, everything was fine. Then we received money from Saudi Arabia. Okay, now that you got the money, you, we, you have to take our stuff. Two years later, kids start to get violent with their family. You are apostate. You can only read this. You can have the, you can have uh, infidel friends. Kids start being dictators with the, their parents, mm. you know, because they're brainwashed by people sent by Saudi Arabia, to which Canada sold 15 billions of weaponry. Yeah, yeah we're not clear. That. You don't we're, hear that, yeah. We're, we're not clear in this. So we cannot complain to have those coming here if we send what pushed them away from home in the first place. You know, and the, I have a Syrian student, he told me, before the big outbreak of the war, we've been checkpoint all the time and people spoke Russian or Iranian. It's not the American's fault. It's not uh, your fault. It's Russian and Turkish people. Turkish. And they're, and they're going there for oil. Syria sits atop the biggest gas deposit on the planet. So everything that happens on the surface is only mumbo-jumbo. It's a way, they are, their only concern is to remove the locals from the surface to better they get and not pay anything to anyone. Uh, so I had a guy come back, go back to his uh, where he grew up in Syria. He says, the great replacement occurred here. I don't recognize any language spoken there. It's no oh, longer my wow. home. And then what happens there? It's only like a repeat number 200 something. Because uh, if, if I talk to you about the Chilean coup d'etat in 1973, do you know why it occurred at the first place? No. Nixon sought the copper deposits in Chile, along Chile, most of them being under native territories. So Nixon summoned the government to you get rid of the the, the, the the savage so we can take the copper. Thank you very much. In the meantime, Chilean voted Salvatore Allende, who granted the, the natives education and health care. So Nixon was furious. He, 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 he joined all the right 
swingers and you know the military juntas who, who saw them like an aristocracy and say okay I'm going to give you millions of dollars you topple that government and I want you to eliminate anyone who could vote again another government like that so in Chile they eliminated all teachers all artists all journalists all writers tortured to death shot they they, they took two weeks they, they filled the, their stadium in Santiago with artists and intellectuals and I and you had thousands of guys with uh, with shotguns uh, around the circle to just to to shoot the lot so and shall remain without superior education for years because uh, the because uh, they didn't want people to be aware that they're gonna cleanse the reserve and take, take the copper out uh, same happened in Africa that's Belgium uh, Belgium wrecked wrecked Africa and then it's it's China who's buying everything and then um, it's like Congo Congo is the first genocide Lionel II the king of Belgium Congo was his private property it wasn't a colony it was his own garden so he he, he brought people to hunt people like we hunt deer and they were coming back with Congolese uh, strapped onto the car hoods like trophies and every time a village didn't meet the the, the target in uh, harvesting latex for the tires they killed the old village you know Rwanda they put it at war because they have diamonds mm. so while they fight we, we just uh, scoop the diamonds and nobody notices. just making people move like puppets exactly I could go for the wall after <laughs> do like you this. find that there's a, diff- a connection between being a front man yeah. and being a teacher it's pretty much the same thing I'm, I'm actually quieter on stage and in, in front of my class <laughs> and uh, you shut up please <laughs> <laughs> uh, they find it funny don't forget they're all African Muslims and stuff and uh, I'm, I, 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 they call me the gin whisperer but most like it actually the gin like, like a uh, like a, a demon, demon in Arabic yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny I was teaching in Cartierville and uh, I, I just announced that I was getting engaged and uh, you had that tent coming, you know, uh, a woman that we don't say anything. And I just heard her voice goes, hey, congratulations for your engagement, Mr. Loisel. When <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the heat, uh, the heat, you know, they have the, their Christmas, they sacrifice lamb and stuff. Yes, yes, the next yes. day I have a box and I eat lamb. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not supposed to. I'm a kuffar. I'm an infidel. Ah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, bring a, they bring a box to you. Uh, it happened to me once or twice. Or we go in a restaurant and uh, all the all the sandwich have bacon in it so uh, i ended with a big big pile of bacon in front of me <laughs> and uh, i always joke with them i'm like okay you guys invented alcohol but you can't drink it so that's your invasion stra- your invasion strategy you want to get us all drunk <laughs> and they laugh a lot and cheers to them yeah yeah and i convert a lot to heavy metal and a little girl she tries to learn blast beat she looks like so she looks like a ewok you know because we only see her face but she, she has, has she the hijab and she she yeah. she's blasting I, I saw hijab headbang <laughs> really that was my next question is is do your students know what you do with uh, last week they had me play the clip in front of the class because someone knew yeah like they, uh, they all knew okay. and parents talked to me about it and um, I have parents come and say you had my nephew five years ago thanks for talking to him thanks to you he didn't you fly to Syria to become a terrorist people wow. said that to me I think that's the way to handle them you help the good ones yeah, and I think that uh, the biggest mistake that people do is to be too soft on the criminals because your race is doing it. It should be the same law for everyone. And when uh, you let a rapist or a thug do, oh, he, people, oh, he comes from above. I can't, I can't arrest him. No, do because you you insult the people in that community who are honest, who do the effort to adapt and you know to take our values. It's an insult to them. And you know what? Those thugs are gonna bully them. They're going, they're going to bully them if we don't do nothing that's true have, have any of your past students become augury fans uh, a lot of them i even have past students becoming musicians the band war call is my former students really yeah that's so cool. uh, emmanuel Pronovo, you know there are the most make career as individual there are a lot of people who are my former students who now collaborate with my band, bandmates on stuff <laughs> Uh, I have parents of students. I did a show in, at the the club soda one year. The first row, the first row was only student parents. It was funny. I have people coming at the parent meeting and ask me to sign stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's really really cool. Yeah. And I was, uh... <laughs> now let's just talk about your child. But 
just sign this first. Yeah, somebody doesn't have children. <laughs> what what is a, the piece of advice that you can give to someone that's starting a band right now? Well, uh, do what you want. Uh, what I do right now is doing late what I was I always wanted to do because I listen to people who try to drag me away from it. So it's like uh, I do right now what I wanted to do in the '90s or '80s or uh, whatever. Do you, do you feel augury is like your like a was like a breath of fresh air to finally be able to? Yeah, but uh, it's just like it was. Uh, my, my attitude was like it was about time. I'm just disappointed that uh, the opportunity comes when I no longer have the energy or time or everything because, and I don't have to feel bad for it because I constantly meet people who are 26 or 27. So I'm too old for it. You know what? I'm 20 years older. That I still do music, period. I think it's pretty much... Uh, I'm pretty proud of myself. And uh, I, I didn't see many people going through what I went and still do music. Hmm. Because I see old people in bands right now. But they stopped for 20 years and restarted their bands. I never stopped. I've been out of a band less than a year in the last 20 years. It's constantly creating. When you finally found Augury and everyone understood your vision and everyone writes their songs for... Well, uh, as for the music, it's uh, we all come one third of the album. Forrest wrote three songs. Uh, Matt wrote three songs. I wrote two songs and two half of songs. And uh, then uh, we, when it's somebody else's song, we simply write our part over it. Unless, uh, you know, uh, it has to be this note or else it doesn't sound right you know uh, but we don't come with uh, music sheets and go okay play this no no it's a real collaboration yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but someone's in charge of the writing of the song and the, the, structure, of it, the, stu- the structure of it structure it's all of us okay for, for us shown like uh, for us shown uh, what drum he wants uh, and what we should play he guide me for the vocal for 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 to give you an, an example he really likes my deep growl vocals and not much the others so on forest song you mostly hear the deeper voice vocals and matt is the opposite he likes my black metal voice so we okay go create all the field all the way never mind uh, and my my own song is like alternance yeah, and so uh, if i have one vocal that fails a specific night i can simply revert to the others which is really lucky because I, I i re-listened to the album this week before coming to speak with you and i, I do you use inhale screams as well yeah i do yeah, but not that much Okay, but it's super interesting and tricky. I still can't pull those off. So yeah, what I what I, I go for this is that I actually can sing in L and pronounce. Yeah, that's not easy. Yeah. But when, when how did it was just from practice messing around? Mm, I I don't practice that much because I feel uh, I don't feel the right to yell without a big loud band behind me. I I I, I do it low volume, but mostly as I visualize myself in my head, I hear the vocals in my head, and some subconsciously my throat just take the right shape, and I don't need that much of practice. We practice once a year. <laughs> Are the touring days of Augury in the past? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Uh, uh, well, because uh, our professional situation, we just cannot take long off. Matt, Matt has a new job, so taking a Friday off is is like a, quite a challenge for him. I'm a teacher; I can take a bit off, but my health don't allow me to be very long with lack of sleep, and you know, because you always sleep like three hours later than you expect, and. Um, and sometimes the food and uh, I, I dislike traveling so uh, I accept the traveling for the sake of every every, ma- every metal but uh, most of the touring you know outside of the show itself was like can I be home please you know uh, mm-hmm. so I'm not a party guy at all teleportation I, I, yeah teleportation I hate inactivity I hate being idle it's a, it's a physical pain for me actually so uh, and uh, Forrest told me well I went to Japan it was 15 years in the plane I couldn't move well, like you know what I like Japanese but I'll send them a hologram of me <laughs> <laughs> so you're just content putting out music yeah exactly playing, I'd, I'd playing play a local shows. show we would like to play some local show in the states but the problem is you have to take the the working permit or whether you play one show or hundred so uh, we have to quit our job yeah. to to justify this and then snula also I can fly because I have ear deformity so even in the mountains, sometimes it hurts. 
I, I flew only once in my life. It was 1981. Then I was 29. They had a X-ray and they say, you know, uh, that that channel is closed. So uh, and I had to give up diving because of it. I, I, I bought I bought the whole thing, the suit, the tank, everything. I, and within the same year, I had to sell it back because oh, you were into scuba diving. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was into scuba diving at 19. I had to quit everything. Uh, I I cannot go anything deeper than 15 feet. It's just agony. Yeah, yeah. agony. It's too painful. And, uh, and you know, since water is much heavier than hair, uh, the distance, ver the vertical distance that you can go is much lesser. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why Augury never went to Europe. Exactly. One of them. And also financial, we would have to put ourselves in shit to be able to, because, uh, you know, you've been through it and uh, you understand that I have a house to pay and I can ask my band that pay, that's paying bills, uh, airplanes bill to Europe, then paying the transportation that try to scoop the money from the merch. And I can ask my band, okay, I, I need my house money every month or else, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's being, being fair realistic. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would have been possible if the very same thing happened in my early 30s. In my early 30s, I was a hobo. I was like, uh, I didn't care. I, I expected to end my life in a, in a, the, the Daniel Boone style in the ca cabin in the woods and stuff, you know. I, I didn't have any material objective, so I was okay with living in a van and living in, uh, you know, uh, as like, uh, I didn't have my tools. I didn't have my animals. I didn't have, uh, my books were in a store, where they were in a storage because I had uh, an apartment full of books, but I, I, I had only books back then. So I, uh, now I have like a 60 uh, living being under my responsibility, you know, so. Well, what made that change? I wanted to tour a bit, but not that much. And people exaggerated and I kind of blew my fuse. I was like, I don't like this, so I won't do it. You know, uh, uh, and I was seeing more commercial band things like uh, Arch Enemy or stuff, and but other bands that are friends of ours that no longer exist, they had to create new music because they needed to put out a new album in order to promote the upcoming tour. I don't. I don't want to create music on common. I will. I, I make the music I want, or I don't make music. Mm -hmm. I never. Uh, I refuse big pay to play to pay commercial music. I'm not interested. You know, uh, I barely can listen to non-blast beat music for more than ten minutes. So it's like, uh, <laughs> or, or, unless it's very genius. I love Rush. I love like uh, some classical. But I mean, in metal, I'm very picky in metal. I hate ninety percent of metal. Yeah, I'm very picky. I like only the best. You know, uh, I will listen seven songs in a row, then silence. Hmm. And it's my favorite form of music. So it's silence. So imagine the other forms of music. Uh, people come here and I don't hear anything. They, they expect music to be played they, all the time. They expect me to yeah. live in noise. The only I play an half an hour of drum nearly every day. I, I like I put plug, earplugs, and then big muffs over it, protect my ears. I dislike noise. I don't go to shows very often. And when you do go to shows, is it something you have that you have to yeah, love? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it has to be like. Uh, uh, I didn't have tickets to go see Emperor, so we try. Me and Sylvie, we tried to, you know, to sneak our way to listen from afar, and uh, they we, we've been supplied with the wrong maps. So we, at Heavy we, MTL, at Heavy MTL, you know, a few years ago, I would sell the fucking kidney to go see Emperor, you know, uh, and it rained like crazy. Yeah, and I was like, shit, no, it can't be. I thought the show was to be cancelled. Uh, it's funny because I met Ishan twice and both times were really awkward. I tried to be a friendly fan, a bit older, but still a fan. And it's like, but both times he was angry at something else. Uh, like, like, circumstance. Circum yeah, circum uh, is that uh, in 1999, Samad couldn't pass the borders. They spent $12,000 in lawyer stuff, but you had that Jesus freak of a border agent who said, no, I don't want him to pass. So they had no budget for the OLL. They didn't sleep for two days. They played the show. Hey, I like fishing a lot. I don't fucking get lost, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I look at like a little kid and I'm like six years, old, six years older than him. <laughs> Have you ever thought of doing like a solo album? Uh, I, I, always. I'm, I'm currently writing stuff. Uh, it's going to be like a... Uh, think augury simpler but faster with with, with, uh, with more operatic vocals oh yeah you, you had mentioned that um, 
people call your clean vocals your pirate voice. Yeah, but uh, pirate because I keep a raunch is going to be my fully clean vocal crooner vocals. Okay. I'm going to make a grindcore album going go, going lower. And I, will, I, I also have a third project with my wife. I want to put like heavier versions of Quebec classics. Oh, that'd you be know, really like, cool. Uh, Pauline Julien, uh, uh, not necessarily Quebec, Roger Whittaker, which is a very first singer that I liked when I was a toddler. And, uh, you know, uh, so I'll make uncommercial music from commercial music. And uh, Sylvie's a great singer. Oh, cool. Melissa Etridge and stuff like this, she nails like this. That's awesome. That's yeah. really interesting. What are some of, uh, what, who do you think is the next big metal band coming up? I don't know. Uh... I see some promising stuff, uh, you, you know, but but because that depends on what you find legit uh, as metal. Because the biggest the biggest seller in the last five years was baby metal. Mm -hmm. So uh, and actually there are five six songs that I find totally genius. By the way, uh, like I say, I like them despite the gimmick. The, the gimmick. It's not the. It's like all bands like King Diamond. I love King Diamond music. And I almost stopped when I saw what it looked like. Hey, it looks stupid. I'm not into costume. I, 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 dis I, I disagree with Lemmy that he says that you, you cannot listen to music who, when the guy looks like a next door guy, you know? Me, it's another thing. We, we're our ordinary people trying to do extraordinary music. As for the next big thing, I don't know. I missed so many stuff, but the next big scene is going to be here. You know, because uh, it, it, Quebec scene is continually good. It, you had in the 80s Voivod, Oblivion, Gorgot, Cryptopsy came around. Where 2018 Cryptopsy is still around and the scene has, around it has kept going, growing. Gorgots are still around. Dana is in Voivod. Mm -hmm. uh, Voivod do better now than in their heydays in the 80s. You know, that's so true. That's the, true. The, scene, the overall scene is going to be big. You know, they see us like Norway or the Bay Area or, you know, any specific scene, Florida, that metal. Growing up playing in bands in Montreal, did you feel that there was a division between the English scene and the French scene? No, not that much. But I don't, what, I, what I could find is that the English bands were a bit less extreme. Uh, beside of the guys in Cryptopsy, you had, the, the beats were more trashy and the, the, the teams were a bit less scary. Uh, and then on the French side, you had Cataclysm. <laughs> and they roll high in the head. And, uh, you know, so, uh, and uh, I, I think that the, being having English as a second language helped us in a way because we could dissociate it emotionally from the lyrics. Mm. So we, we could go we could go address very dark concepts, but once the song is over, become happy, joy, joy, yai and stuff, you know. And it sh it helped shape the attitude beside the music. Now it, it picks up as elsewhere. Our label, the Artisan Era, is a death metal label from the United States. You see, every post they do on Facebook is all fun stuff. They say. The, the guy making shirts of him with uh, eating a hot dog and stuff, you know? <laughs> and I remember 10 years ago, you're too jokey to be metal. No jokes, no humor. You should take your glasses off. And, uh, and it's like then everybody keeps his last. Ishan keeps his last. look from uh, Gorgots keeps his last. I say, you know, who wins? Me. Yeah. You know, but, but you know, I've, I've been doing that stuff like 20 years earlier. And uh, people like, no, this don't belong on metal. Humor don't belong. Glasses don't belong. Nerds don't belong. Fast forward to now, who's laughing? What's your favorite album of the moment? Uh, my own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really dig Sutra, Dunes, because the guys are friends and uh, trying to learn the drum tracks are like my main exercise. I actually jam with them. I'm, ju I'm just not good enough to pretend, okay, I'm applying as a drummer. My, um, what, what I think is like a, um, a better person will show up before I'm good enough. I like the energy <laughs> still, but they are, I adore that guy. Uh, like, uh, Majestic Exit, all the projects from my friend Dave Klemmer. Mm -hmm. Majestic Exit, Spirit of the Forest, Super Enlightenment, uh, some Karak and Grin, uh, some uh, that Panopticon. Uh, Port I like Portal. I like uh, Japanese pop metal bands. That's the lighter side of it. Uh, Mayhem. Mayhem, a great declaration of war. I'm still a big fan. And Chimera. Uh, I mean, too, pretty much my favorite style of music is ultra-fast black metal. You know, uh, uh, um, Norse from Australia, uh, the, the Robin, from, the drummer, helped us on a tour. Kralis from New York, I like a lot. Portal, I like. Uh, 
I just forget right now. I don't listen that much to music. Uh, he, when I have time alone, my first reflex is not to listen to music because I'm surrounded b with noise all the time. So uh, the only time I can listen to music is when I have a very, very long time alone because or else uh, uh, if, I, if, I music, if I listen to music uh, immediately, well, I have no silent time and uh, it's just like, it's just tiresome. It's too noisy and they crank the music over there and, you know, I, I Watch, uh, I watch a refectory with 700 kids yelling to the top of their lung. I'm like, oh, my that's God. very, very yeah. tiresome. <laughs> and and then I, I'm next door to the music class, and uh, you have uh, kids for the first time trying their clarinets. Oh, you understand? And they say, hey, while the geese surround the school, oh, they just had the clarinets. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for taking the time, inviting me to your house. Yeah. I find you very, very interesting. Thank you you, very you, much. you know so much about history and the metal scene and so many years being a part of it. I, I'm truly honored that you took the time to sit down with me and uh, drank some beer with me. Yeah. You're always welcome. I really, really appreciate it. Do you have something that you want to shout out at the end? Uh, of the record. Oh, yeah. Keep metal. <laughs> All the best. Hey, thank you so much for listening right to the end. That was Vox and Hops episode 9 with Pat Loisel. Pat, Pat's just so interesting. I could sit there and listen to him talk about stuff for hours and hours and hours. But, you know, I had to end it at some point and uh, edit it down to something that's fun for all of you guys and girls to listen to, too. Next up on the podcast, I meet up with the hardest working metalhead in Montreal, Jason Rockman. He is the singer of Slaves on Dope, and he's also a DJ for Shome, which is a, an iconic rock station here in Montreal. Um, during that conversation, he tells me what it's like being sober for over 25 years and how just recently he is like exploring non-alcoholic beer and his relationship with those. Uh, we talk about how he got onto Shome. We talk about his uh, early years playing with Slaves on Dope on the Sunset Strip alongside uh, System of a Down and Papa Roach. And we also uh, just dip into a little bit uh, his love for all things comic book themed. All the best. Check that out on Vox and hops episode number 10 if you have any suggestions recommendations if you would like to sponsor the show please send me an email at matt at voxandhops.com all the best thank you so much this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week i'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing recording and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.